0: The Dallas Cowboys make an absolute mockery of the NFL's Rooney Rule with their interview process, or so-called interview process, and how pathetic are the numbers of minority coaches since the Rooney Rule was instituted in the NFL it a complete and utter failure. And also, Antonio Brown can't stay out of the news, can't get back in the NFL, but is he stepping into the ring with a massive YouTube star. I'm Dave Briggs here on Home and Home at radio.com Sports Original We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out. Ziprecruiter.com/enter the smartest way to hire in 2020. So, Antonio Brown, maybe he should jump on Zip Recruiter. Guy clearly needs a job. Put out an album. Or at least a, a solo, a single it was called Whole Lot of Money. It was god awful. I am no rap critic, but it was absolute utter garbage. Clearly, he doesn't have a whole lot of money, but needs a whole lot of money if, in fact, he is jumping into the ring with YouTube star Logan Paul. If you don't know, Logan Paul became famous on Vine those short videos he put out there. Really a prankster, an internet prankster, if you will. Then turned to YouTube, where he has 20 million subscribers, makes millions of dollars on childish and sometimes idiotic and sometimes offensive pranks, but the guy is, above all, entertaining. Logan Paul has also turned to fighting, fight another YouTube star, KSI, and now is turning to MMA in 2020. But Antonio Brown, yes, the former Steelers and Patriots and Raiders wide receiver, challenged Logan Paul on Twitter, and the greatest comeback I have ever seen from Logan Paul, who is clearly a a bright man, says, I'll drop you faster than the Patriots. That is an outstanding comeback to Antonio Brown. I'm not sure who wins this fight, but this is one I'd like to see, Ross, and you? Yeah, I mean, why not?
1: I mean, I, I, in general, like fights. I, in general, like watching people go after each other. Um, I think it's entertaining. Why not? Um, And uh, honestly, with Antonio Brown and some of the things that he's been accused of and some of the things that we know he's done, I wouldn't mind seeing him get punched in the face a few times. I'm not talking about, like, a serious injury but I wouldn't mind seeing Antonio
0: Brown take some shots to the face or the body.
1: Heck yeah. Why
0: not? I would love to see Antonio Brown take a beating. I'm not sure that's what would happen here. Logan Paul is jacked. I mean, he is a big ass strong dude and has some fighting experience, but Antonio Brown is a professional athlete I think the speed of Antonio Brown, regardless of whether or not he's crazy at the moment, he is clearly still working out hardcore. I think he would probably tear up Logan Paul pretty well. But Logan would get in some good punches, and I would really appreciate Antonio taking a few to the face. The question being off of that is, what other professional athlete do you think needs to have a butt-kicking? Who would you like to see have the crap kicked out of them in professional sports today? couple of guys came to mind to me. And I, I like watching this guy play, but being a Bronco fan my whole life, bleed orange and blue. The smack talk of Phillip Rivers, the Chargers quarterback, not sure where he'll be next season. Phillip Rivers would be great in a celebrity boxing match because he definitely needs to be punched in the face one, two, three, four, eight or ten times. Philip Rivers has it coming. All that shit talking throughout his entire career that may earn him a spot in Canton, he still deserves an ass And The other one is also a quarterback not currently employed. Yeah, you guessed it, Colin Kaepernick. I was okay with the kneeling, quite frankly, because I know that a Green Beret is the one that inspired that. I know that it wasn't against the troops or against our country. It was just misunderstood. And I can even put up with the masquerading that he wants to be back in the NFL because I don't think he does. And the sham of a workout down in Atlanta that he had to move away from NFL grounds and waivers. But what he did this week makes me think Colin Kaepernick – needs to have a swift ass kicking. He tweeted about the U.S., President Trump, the Pentagon, taking out a prominent Iranian general, which I assume you all know about, has a lot of people feeling like we are edging towards a war with Iran. We're not going to talk politics too much, but Kaepernick tweeted, there is nothing new about American terrorist attacks against black and brown people for the expansion of American imperialism. Do your freaking homework, Colin Kaepernick. Terrorism is what this Iranian general specializes in, trying to kill American troops. Now I'm not sure whose freaking side Colin Kaepernick is on because he's certainly on the wrong side of this argument. I'm not saying President Trump did the wrong or the right thing, But you better be clear about whose side you're on, because this Iranian general has long had the goals at spreading terrorism. So there's my two. I'd like to have their ass kicked. Who you got, Ross? Well,
1: so first of all, any guy that ever had any sort of domestic abuse that's been proven, like Greg Hardy, I really do tune in to when Greg Hardy fights every once in a while, hoping he gets his ass kicked (laughs) just because I think he is a piece of crap. So anybody like that, I'm also good with getting a, a good butt whooping of any cheater, you know, like I wouldn't mind seeing Lance Armstrong and I know there's a lot of positives there and he raised a lot of money for cancer research, which is amazing. But to be, Such a blatant cheater and a blatant liar. I don't know. I'd kind of like to see him get punched in the face a few times for that. You know, I think that's probably well-deserved. But my number one guy, and it's very specific, Dave, who I would want to be doing the butt kicking. My number one guy who I'd kind of like to see get punched in the face is Bill Belichick. And I'm going to be specific here. Dave, (laughs) I want it to be the Patriots beat writers. I want the Patriots beat writers. I forget the movie where the guy came out, the the guy had to fight 10 guys in one day. It's Louis Gossett Jr. James Woods is in the movie. It's a great movie. And like the whole premise is he's got to be able to beat 10 guys in the ring in one day. I would like to see similar except it's Bill Belichick going against uh, New England Patriots beat writers. Because I don't care for his condescending and what I think is unprofessional and disrespectful answers and conduct in those press conferences. I don't think it needs to be that way. I don't think he needs to try to make people feel bad. I don't care for it. I think it's the antithesis of what a professional coach should be in an entertainment vehicle like the NFL. And I'd kind of like to see Tommy Curran and Mike Reese (laughs) and Karen Garegian and Albert Breer and all of them. I kind of like to see them. Mike Giard, I kind of like to see them get some punches in on Belichick. how much do you think they would love that? The chance to punch him in the nose I he would be my number one. Belichick getting punched by the Patriots beat writers. Every round a different beat writer gets a chance to go after Bill in the ring.
0: Oh yeah, I would love this. This would be outstanding, especially if you throw in some old school. maybe Bob Ryan. Dan Shaughnessy, not columnists, not beat writers that have to deal with it every day, but guys we're very familiar with that have had to deal with Bill a lot. Love Tommy, love Reese. These guys I worked with up in Boston, don't know if they'd have much of a shot in the ring. Now, Giardi, Mike Giardi, I think that would balance the scales. I think he would kick Bill Belichick's ass. But the other ones, I don't know. I I sense Bill Belichick. Probably could throw a pretty mean right. I'm not sure how many of those beat writers would come out of the ring without being the bloodied one, with the notable exception of Mike Giardi.
1: Yeah, so that would be that would be my vote. Uh, I just think, but that's specific. I, like like, I don't want to just see Belichick beat up. I want to see the Patriots beat writers get to beat him. It's interesting, Dave, because <laughs> I put a tweet. By the way, the name of that movie, uh, according to submillennial Jordan. I forget what he's called, but he's younger than the millennials, so I'm going to call him sub-millennial. It's better Z. than whatever generation he really is. Z? Z. Yeah, he's, he's sub-millennial Z. for me. Yeah, I'm not going like to remember that. that. Um, <laughs> the name of that movie is Digstown. Um, I, I don't know it. if you're, you ever seen, Oh, it's a great no. movie. A great I movie. I really like that movie. So anyway, here's what I tweeted, Dave. Which current sports figure would you most like to see get the crappy out of them, like Logan Paul would do to AB? We'll be discussing your responses on RDC Home and Home, home and OnDemandRadio.com slash Home and on the Radio.com app. And a guy who I'm not familiar with named Stephen Ruiz, who uh, works for The Win, um, said... Uh, This is a very cool and definitely not unhinged segment to do. (laughs) Um, And then you look and see uh, people saying to me, um, I mean, obviously some people are saying Kaepernick, Clowney, an Eagles fan say Clowney. This guy said, uh, "Good job thinking this through, Ross." Um, so anyway, there's been some other negative feedback that they feel like this is an un- inappropriate. Um, this is an inappropriate segment to do or inappropriate conversation to have. Your thoughts?
0: What, what what makes it inappropriate, say these guys, say, say the feedback? Because I don't think it's inappropriate at all. I think it is fitting the tone in professional sports today, especially given a guy like Antonio Brown and like Logan Paul, both who, quite frankly, you could make a great case for needing an ass whooping. What's inappropriate about it?
1: Uh, I don't know. They're, they're just saying uh, cool and uh, not unhinged segment to do. Um they didn't like that uh, the one guy said, Clowney, have his head bashed in to end his career. Clowney is a POS like his felon dad. Uh, somebody said, tie Ooh. between Cam Newton and LeBron. Uh, somebody said, that's easy, that hypocrite, Colin Capitalist. Cut as a four-stringer, blah, 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 etc. Um, one guy said, this is like quote, name the black dude that did you wrong most recently for these folks. Obviously, you and I um, both uh, went with white guys. Not that that matters, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just telling you the responses. So um, people did not like it. I, I guess they <laughs> feel like it is promoting um, violence on people, which they think is uh,
0: inappropriate. I don't know. Maybe we can have a home. Maybe we can discuss it. Give me a break, people. I mean, we're talking about violent professional sports. We embrace all that. I, if we were talking about, if we were making light of domestic violence, if we were suggesting a man and a woman at the ring at the same time, this is utter nonsense that there's any negative feedback to the suggestion that we'd like to see certain professional athletes take a beating. I love it. I embrace it. You're all wrong, but I appreciate the feedback. I do find it interesting uh, that Cam Newton is one that was mentioned on your Twitter feed. And when I looked up the most hated athletes in professional sports, Cam Newton came up and LeBron came up and and Tiger Woods came up. And I was just surprised at that. I don't really know. Yeah, I, I get there's a brash swagger to Cam Newton, but to to hate a guy, to really dislike. I don't really see what's that dislikable about Cam, a guy who's been a warrior throughout his career. Uh, Tiger Woods, unless you go back to the time at which everything went south. LeBron James, maybe they're going back to the time that he took his talents to South Beach. But I like this discussion. I think we should get more feedback from the viewer. And yes, we should get Belichick versus the beat reporters in a ring do you and lastly uh philip rivers like how do you think he'd fare like do you think philip rivers would kind of laugh it off like i think he'd actually welcome the challenge like he gets that he's being a prick out there
1: no i think i think philip rivers uh, i'd like to see philip rivers throw a punch now i hope he throws a punch better looking aesthetically than how he throws a football You know, he kind of throws a football like, like that, like, uh, like I hope he throws a little bit more of a straight, straight right or straight left and not coming like that from the outside. Uh, that's actually pretty funny to think about. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Phillip Rivers would, would get, I mean, it, you know, there's some, you're now you're a Broncos fan, so you've seen him especially talk trash to your team a lot, which I think enhances it. But, yeah, I do think there's a decent amount of people that would kind of like to see Philip Rivers in a ring getting the crap beat out of him because he's always talking trash. And I think it bothers people. Maybe you, he doesn't swear. He says, Dad, <laughs> you know, it's like it almost makes it worse.
0: Yeah, and, and I'd like to be the guy that steps in the ring with him, except, dude, I think he'd probably kick my ass. I mean, I'd probably have to train for a good year to just survive Philip Rivers. And, you know, these skinny guns, man, I, I, I'm not in great shape to step in the ring with Philip Rivers. So it need to be like, oh, I got one. I got one, because he's a former Broncos quarterback that I still feel like I would like to see him take a few punches. Jay Cutler versus Philip Rivers. Boom. That would be fantastic. That is made for pay per view. What do you think about that potential matchup, Cutler Rivers?
1: I would love it. I would absolutely love that. Cause you know what? Similar to how I feel about Belichick, I'd kind of like to see Cutler get punched in the nose too. Uh, you know, I've seen the way he's handled the media and other people. In fact, I've seen one really bad. Uh, interaction with Jay Cutler and a ball boy, actually. So I would like to see him get punched in the face. Absolutely. That would be terrific.
0: Thank you very much. All right. We got to get to some sneaky breaking news after a break, a guest who is just on home and home, Pete Thamel breaking some big news about a college coach Headed to the NFL, there's a lot of guys that could be. We'll discuss who it is, and then we'll turn to Adam Kilgore, Washington Post, who's going to tell us what a joke the Rooney rule has become in the NFL, the absence of black coaches, and did the Dallas Cowboys make a mockery of that rule with their so-called interview process, not a fair hiring process after the break, Ross? But a fair hiring
1: process is to be had thanks to ZipRecruiter. Not just a fair, but a terrific one. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. They don't stop there like the other places do. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash enter. That ziprecruiter.com. Slash E N T E R, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
0: Did the Dallas Cowboys make a mockery of the Rooney rule? You'll be astonished at the lack of progress with minority head coaches or even assistant coaches, offensive coordinators in the NFL. It is appalling. Adam Kilgore from the Washington Post joins us with the breakdown of that story. Also, some breaking news to get to in the NFL from our friend Pete Dammel, who joined us earlier. It's home and home, a Radio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check them out, ziprecruiter.com. Enter the smartest way to hire for all your needs in 2020. They didn't go to ZipRecruiter, but they did find their man, the Carolina Panthers, lock-up Baylor coach, Matt Rule. Like that. They didn't want him to get on a plane. Pete Damel, Yahoo Sports, breaking this news a short time ago. They didn't want to get him on a plane because that probably meant he was going to go to the New York Giants, who may have offered him the job straight away. Matt Rule is a turnaround expert. For those of you not familiar with his work, he started at Temple, took a team that was 2-10, and ten, built them into 10-3. and three four years later. Then he goes to Baylor, a program that was in the absolute shambles when he took them over 1-11 his first year in 2017. But by the last year, 11-3, you know, they went to a big-time bowl game. They came up short to Georgia 26-14. I think of Rule I think of the smock. It is one of the most unique pieces of clothing I've ever seen on the collegiate sidelines. It is that infamous Baylor smock. Hopefully they can get him one from Nike that has Carolina Panthers on it. What do you make of the hire, Ross?
1: So I I know Matt Rule very well personally. Uh, He's an awesome guy and he is a terrific football coach. To do what he did at both Temple and Baylor is extremely impressive. He also does have some experience in the NFL with the New York Giants. You know, he had told me a while ago that he liked coaching in the NFL and that he would love to be in the NFL again, um, you know, privately. And feel comfortable saying that now that he's going back to the NFL. Uh, You know, I think he probably loved being the coach at Baylor. But recruiting in particular is an absolute nonstop grind in college. You can never rest. You can never sleep. It's a constant. He also is from the Northeast. You know, he's from State College. He went to Penn State. I don't know about his wife and family, but I'm sure coming back to the Northeast on some level appealed to him. Charlotte, not too far I think like most people though, Dave, my big surprise here is that it's not with the New York Giants because I thought he would be the next head coach of the New York Giants. I think that's who they wanted and he had some experience with them in 2012. Gentleman was with the organization back then. I think everybody from the Giants on thought that that was going to happen and credit to David Tepper for not letting that happen. He didn't take the time to interview McDaniels. He felt like Rule was his guy and did not want to take any chances, not even let him go to New York. Kudos to Tepper for getting his man, and it once again feels like the Giants are left holding the bag.
0: Yeah, my first thought before I tried to evaluate the hire was the first thing that jumped in my mind was Giants fans just sitting there throwing their hands up not knowing where this coaching search might turn because there's been whispers, and I think they're bogus, but there are whispers that they could interview Jason Garrett, but an interesting pattern developing. I like the coaching hire of Matt Rule an awful lot because he has some NFL experience, clearly is a turnaround expert and knows a thing or two about the offensive game, but the the pattern that's developing here is find your guy, lock him up, don't let this interview process play out too long, which is the opposite from what we've seen historically is where a lot of candidates come in, come out, get on a plane, go somewhere else. Now it's find your guy quickly, zero in on him and don't let him interview with anyone else. That's what we saw with Ron Rivera. That's what we saw with Mike McCarthy. And now that's how what we've seen with Matt Rule. Three major hires with really no process whatsoever. Find your guy and lock him up which kind of begs the question, what is the point of the Rooney rule in the NFL trying to encourage the hiring of minority coaches? It is an absolute joke. It is a mockery right now. Let's talk about that with Adam Kilgore from the Washington Post who wrote about this in the Post. Adam, good to have you on the program. It's Dave Briggs and it's Ross Tucker. Um, This process that we've seen play out with now three Head coaching hires in the NFL, and specifically the Dallas Cowboys interviewing Marvin Lewis, are they making a mockery of the Rooney Rule?
2: Well, that's hard to answer because I think you have to know the intent and what side, you know, Jerry Joneses and Dave Teppers and, and all their, you know, hearts and minds, and, you know, when they go to interview uh, Marvin Lewis or Eric Bieniemy, who, who interviewed in Carolina. Um, you know, I, I think from the outside, I, I'm willing to say that those are. Um, legitimate interviews and not, you know, a, a token interview, and in that um, that they abide by the Rooney Rule and the Rooney rule's is, um, you know, doing its job in the process. I think you, you have to just look at, you know, whether or not the Rooney Rule is being, um, you know, the, the spirit of it is being followed. Um, I think you have to look at the results, and the results are really bleak for um, diversity, especially um, African American coaches in the NFL right now.
1: So. Adam, for people that didn't get a chance to read your outstanding story at the Washington Post, and we encourage them to do so, can you sort of summarize where the Rooney Rule is right now, and what you think the issues are?
2: Sure. Yeah, that's, that's really nice of you to say, Ross. I appreciate that. Um, you know, so I, I feel like the the Rooney Rule is 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 still, you know, it, it's it's not the the problem. I mean, it, like at the end of the day. You know, I mean, look, like the, the re-rule, like there there are people from the Fritz Pollard Alliance from the NFL who go talk to, like, Congress once a year to get, you know, it, th- th- those people want to know how it works because it's actually viewed as effective, which tells you something about society outside of the NFL and, and you know, the way corporations work, but all our topics started to go on a tangent. Um, the, the issue is just who's who's getting the jobs at the end of the day, not not so much the interview process, you know. Uh, and it, it's a historic problem that is still. Um, you know, certainly is going as strong as ever. I mean, um, Ron Rivera, in the words of um, Rod Graves of the Fritz Pollard Alliance, that was a win for diversity. He, he's um, Latin American, and, uh, you know, those, those coaches are certainly underrepresented as well in the NFL. But, you know, you look at the past three hiring cycles, if you include, um, you know, the one that's happened this year, at least part of it, and African-American coaches are just not getting hired um, to be head coaches. And that problem is, is totally tied into – um, sort of makeup of uh, offensive coaches and, and the people who are in positions, you know, to, to coach the quarterback and to call plays and to be offensive coordinators. Um, you know, the NFL has, frankly, and NFL teams have, frankly, a, a shameful history of promoting uh, black coaches into positions that put them into position to be head coaches. You know, there right now there are two African-American offensive coordinators in the NFL, Eric bien And Byron uh, Leftwich, Byron Leftwich, sorry, in Tampa, Um, and there were only two African American quarterback coaches uh, as well. And as the league has really shifted heavily um, towards, you know, offensive coaches and trying to find an offensive mind who can connect with a quarterback, um, one of the offshoots of that, one of the, the issues has been that you know, what was already a problem of hiring black coaches to be head coaches is now pretty much a full-blown crisis.
0: Adam Kilgore with us from the Washington Post. Terrific story on the Rooney Rule. Minority coaches in the NFL points out we're at the same level of black coaches as we were in 2003 when the Rooney Rule was instituted. And per your point about offensive coordinators in the game, only five black head coaches in NFL history – Archell, Dennis Green, Jim Caldwell, Hugh Jackson, and Anthony Lynn currently with the Chargers came from an offensive background. You'll find that all in this outstanding piece. So if Eric Bieniemy, Adam, does not get a job, he's the offensive coordinator with the Chiefs this season, and it doesn't feel like he's going to get an opportunity, at least to me, he's getting the interviews. He got the interviews last year, though. If he doesn't get a job, what does that tell us, and what do you think the biggest problem is is it just the lack of quality candidates to choose from or is there something greater
2: yeah i mean i think it's something greater because i don't think there's a total lack of of quality candidates you know i mean they're not as high a number as like you know white guys who are calling plays and being coordinators but you know like matt rule is is a great coach like i would not never cast a version on that hire at all i mean his a real speaker themselves but like where is the nfl interest if if, like you know kingsbury is getting interest like what about um, you know, a creative choice like Tony Scott, according to Clemson who all he has a national championship every year, Colin plays. What about um, you know, Dino favors at Syracuse? He beat he Clemson with Syracuse's roster, uh, coached um uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in college, you know, he's like a sort of a very, you know, innovative guy with RPOs and air and all that. But where is their even sort of like rumored interest, you know? Um and I think at the end of the day it comes goes back to um you know, the guys hiring the job. I mean it is a league issue, but it comes down to um the teams themselves. You know, at the end of the day, all the owners, um, except for Shaq Khan are white. Um, all of the GMs except for Chris Greer, are white. Um and you end up sort of hiring who you know and um you know, it just, you it's not not trying to break any sociological news here, but like, you know, that's just if you're if you're a white rich man, you probably um are uh, you know conditioned to you know choose the white guy? Whether that's uh, I don't think it's like overt racism. It's just um, you know sort of a, a systemic issue that um, you have to sort of like work consciously work beyond. And I don't think that's that's happening. Um, you know, and with with Biennale, you know, the, Tony Dungy told me a story that I think is really um, resonant. You uh, know, when, when he was talking about Eric and his chances, you know, he he, he went back to like the, the Packers. Of the early '90s and mid '90s, when Mike Holmgren was having success, and you know his staff became a real factory of head coaches. You had Mariochi who coached there, took a year at Cal, ended up being the head coach at uh, San Francisco. You had uh, Andy Reid came out of there; he was a very high-profile coach, wasn't a coordinator, but you know was was a top-up assistant for Mike. Um, got a job at, at Philadelphia. Up next in that sort of pipeline was Sherman Lewis. Um, he was a coordinator, didn't call plays. He was black, and never got a head coaching job. Um, despite interviewing a whole lot of places. And that was what Tony was relating to Eric was saying that, yeah, I think he's got a chance to be a head coach. He seems to be a hot name. Um, but you know, this has happened before. And the excuse when Sherman Lewis wasn't hired was well he didn't call plays. It's like, well, you know, you know uh, Mike Holmer was calling the plays and Mary was there, he was calling the plays when um um try to get uh you know, when, when, when both of the coaches were there, it's the same thing in Kansas City. People, people want to say that, you know, use the excuse or the reason that, um, well, you know, Eric BME isn't calling plays in Kansas City. Well, neither was Doug Peterson, and for a lot of his time there, neither was Matt Nagy. They've had great success. Those were great hires. And the, the next person in line is the Eric B.M. If you want, like, a proven sort of, like, formula for a head coach in the NFL, the guy who was under Andy Reid and uh, coached the MVP, Patrick Mahomes, You know, even though Eric doesn't call plays, he's in Mahomes' headset. Um, He's a a great candidate. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, like, what's the difference between Eric the Enemy and uh, the guys who came before him? Um, It's hard to find an answer to that other than the color of his skin, uh, which is a really rotten uh, thing to be true, but it's hard to to find a different explanation.
1: Adam, uh, this is great stuff. Uh, One thought I had is I think it was maybe just a couple years ago. I don't know what the, the peak number was, but it feels like very recently when you had Hugh Jackson in Cleveland and Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati and Jim Caldwell in Detroit, Steve Wilks in Arizona, Vance Joseph in Denver. I mean, I don't know what the highest number of minority head coaches was, but it feels like it was as high as it ever was, but that, all of those guys I just named lost their jobs in the last couple of years. What was the peak number of minority head coaches in the NFL? Cause it feels like it was fairly
2: recently. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, I got to like eight, um, you're right. Not, not too long ago in like 2016, but I think what happened is it really is related to, um, the sort of like offensive coaching pipeline, you know, that as a league went heavily toward offense, uh, you know, hiring coordinators, you know, hiring quarterback coaches, friends of Sean McVay, um, like all of those positions were filled by white guys, um, and historically, just like there's been, um, you know, whether it's a systemic bias, whether it's you know, a lot of it relates to you know, a generation or two ago when black players were not getting opportunities to play quarterback, especially as a, as backups in the league. Um, I think that's that's really spinning forward. Like those are, those are the people and players who end up becoming coaches. I mean, like, back-of-quarterbacks is, like, the ultimate incubator for being a head coach. I think, like, you know, seven or eight coaches right now in the NFL were, we're back with quarterbacks You know, Doug Pearson was a, was a great back with quarterback He's a good example. Anyway, so I think, like, that is not the whole reason, but it's definitely a sort of interesting factor um, that, so, again, the answer point about where mm-hmm. all the black head coaches were going, most of those, if not all of them. Um, aside from Hugh and Anthony Lynn, they were all coming from the defensive side of the ball as it's become now invoked to hire offensive coaches. Yeah. Um, you, like you know the, the the candidates who are minorities uh, aren't there and and, and to, to your point too, I think it's really telling about who gets second chances. Um, the only time in NFL history when a franchise fired uh, or sorry when a franchise lost a minority head coach. And then hired a, head, a minority head coach to replace him was when the Colts went from Tony Dungy to Jim Caldwell, and Dungy retired. Caldwell was the OC. They they, they moved him up, and um, you know, so it, it it that to me really does feel like, you know, a lot of these franchises, whether it's consciously or not, think okay, we check that box. We have a minority head coach now. Let's move on to something else. And they're not keeping yeah. open mind and trying to find mm-hmm. the best. the the very best guy, regardless of uh, skin color.
0: Hopefully what can change this process is the fact that right now, arguably the three best quarterbacks in the game are black, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson. You've got Jameis Winston, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott. So maybe uh, everything begins to change, but you bring up Jim Caldwell as did Ross, I think, which is an interesting case in Detroit. Detroit, Caldwell posted three winning seasons, led the Lions to their first 11-win season since 91, twice made the playoffs. He was dismissed after going 36-28. and 28. Matt Patricia is being retained 9-19-1. Yeah. Nine, look, we're, we're tiptoeing around the word. Is there racism in the system? Why would Pat, Matt Patricia get opportunities Jim Caldwell didn't get when he far outproduced him?
2: Yeah, I do think there's there's racism in the system. I don't think it's like overt racism, but I think it's the kind of subtle racism that infects you know pretty much every corner of American life. Um, and to think that the NFL would be immune from it, um, you'd be you'd be wrong. Despite some some efforts on the part of really hardworking good people to uh, overcome that, um, again it goes back to, at the end of the day, like you know there's 32 or sorry 31 um, rich white guys who are making almost every hire and. You know, like, they're going to decide at the end of the day. And so, you know, as, as much work as you want to do and as much, um, you know, information you want to put out, I think that the, the Jim Caldwell example is perfect. I mean, he's been to a Super Bowl. Um, he made the playoffs to Detroit, which is, like, a miracle. Um, uh, you know, and he coached Peyton Man- Like, there's there's so many reasons that that, things that make him a good coach. Like, he did, he took a year off after getting fired, and now he's, a, he's, a, he's on staff in Miami. But, like, why would... You know, and I'm, this is not like a knock on Mike McCarthy, but like if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if Mike McCarthy is like a really hot candidate, like what is the as far as like their results? And you know, like Ross, you you're, you know more about football and you know people in the league and what they think about certain implications and styles and all that. But like, yes, based on like results um, broadly, like why is Jim Caldwell not a, not getting you know five interviews in this cycle? Um, you, you know, he's. It's just. It, it, it's kind of magic when you when you start talking about it. You kind of go in circles. But you know, at the end of the day, like I said, it comes back to who's doing the hiring. And um, I, I don't. Again, I don't think like you know any NFL owner is up in their office thinking like, well, they're not going to hire a black guy. But I do think that they just there's certain comfort comfort with certain um, people um, that they feel, whether that's. Um, I I think probably most of it is subconscious, but it's there. um, And there's really no, you can't deny it based on, on the results. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I would just say, Adam, I I do think it actually more than anything else. It's, it goes, it's from the quarterback coaches and then the coordinators. And a Mm -hmm. lot of that goes to who played quarterback 20 years ago, because Mm -hmm. that's who gravitated to the quarterback coach position and then coordinator, et cetera. I mean, you don't see a lot of former offensive linemen becoming NFL head coaches either because not a lot of them become uh, NFL offensive coordinators. So I do think that's part of it. My last question is just the Rooney rule in general and Mm -hmm. how it's perceived among African-American head coaches in particular, African-American candidates, I should say in particular, because I feel like on some level it would bother me if I felt like I was only getting the interview because of the Rooney rule. Now, I know it would still be incumbent upon me to prove myself to them anyway, but I'm just curious about what their perception is of quote-unquote token interviews because of the Rooney rule.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know I think that's one of of many frustrations, and it's a, it's a big one. Um, you know, I, there there are definitely uh, you know candidates from the past who have been offered interviews and and turned them down for that reason, just because they feel like you know this is this is BS. Like I'm not going to let you use me just but you know for this charade. Um, you know, that being said, you know I, I know like, you know I think uh, I think it was Tony Dungy when I was talking to him. He said that he encourages coaches even if they do feel like it's a token interview to do it because your name's your, your, your name is, gets out there. Other other people see it. It's good practice. You know, I think those, those coaching interviews are are hard work. They're grueling. And you got to be prepared for them. And doing one, even if it is going through the motions, it actually it actually is useful at at the end. So there are some coaches who, you know, maybe on principle don't want to do it, but realize, like, if there's some practical use for it. Um, and that's obviously part of the rule, too. Look, I mean, if, if a team, you know, knows, has history with a coach, knows they want to hire that coach, um, you know, that's I think that's like fair. I think that's naturally part of the process. Um, you know, if and if they have to hire or sorry, interview um an African American coach uh, you know, and it's a little bit of a kabuki dance. That honestly at the end of the day, like it is frustrating, but I don't think it's the worst thing. I think it's like part of the way the rule works. Because what you want is you want just people to be more open minded. You want like when an owner you know, sits down to make his list, and he under you know he's heard this name out there, and is thinking of that person as a potential head coach, which may not have happened if I got that interview, whether it was token or not. So it is, yeah it is. There's a lot of like BS to those token interviews, um, but there is actually some practical use as well. I think that's like part of why the Rooney Rule sure. um, is is a, is a good rule. So it's it's an interesting. It, it is kind of interesting because it's like it's like. It's it's, it's crap, but it's also, in a roundabout way, sort of like helping promote some more diversity.
0: Sure, and I I think it is helpful for Eric Biannimi's name to resurface and for him to go through the process. But when Marvin Lewis is 0-7 in the postseason and everyone from coast to coast, let alone in Dallas, knows he's not getting that job, in that case, I do believe it's the mockery because no one in Dallas would accept that higher, but it is a great conversation to have. It's a wonderful piece in the Washington Post. Adam Kilgore, read him there. Follow him at Adam Kilgore WP on Twitter. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate the time.
2: Hey, thank you guys. I, I appreciate it.
0: Really good conversation. Excellent piece on the Washington Post. Three hires. We have Ron Rivera going to Washington. We have Matt Rule now going to Carolina. And, of course, we have Mike McCarthy, who lands with the Dallas Cowboys. Yesterday, we asked you, how would you grade if you were Ross Tucker sitting on the beach in San Diego and held up a sign about the chick walking by you named Mike McCarthy? What would you grade it? 44% of you. Say it's about a seven or an eight. So a solid, if not spectacular hire in second place though, is that word "meh." that the Dallas people, one Oh five, three, the fan, they basically said it's a five or a six. Very few of you agree with me. It's a nine or a 10, 16% of you. I think it's a great hire. How'd they seal the deal? Jerry Jones sealed the deal with the sleepover. He's 77. Mike McCarthy's 56. It's unusual, but what the hell? It worked. I'm a big fan of the sleepover. I sometimes try to get, you know, uh, other families to spend the night here at Ross. And I always like, dude, we, we got we got a house. we got We got a bed, you know, just ease up. It's just because I never want the party to end. Sleepovers do bring back some fond memories of childhood, though. Do they not?
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, I don't know when it started, Dave. Maybe fourth grade, I want to say. I don't know if it was earlier than that. I feel like fourth grade through about seventh or eighth, I I, I think almost every weekend night I either slept over somewhere or they slept over at my place. I mean, that's just what you did in that age range. Now, you have kids – That are of that age. So you can speak more to experience. But oh my gosh. Did we have a lot of sleepovers back then. And I remember Dave. Almost every time. Here's what I remember about sleepovers. Number one. We would order pizza time pepperoni pizza. Pizza time. Was fast. And cheap. And probably not of the highest quality. If we're being honest. We would load up on Mountain Dew. I think you got like Ugh. two large pepperonis for $9.99. Load yep. up on Mountain Dew. Doritos. If you didn't have a bag of Doritos, it was a failed sleepover. And then Dave, it was a lot of video games. I mean, a lot of video games. And we would just crush pizza, crush Mountain Dew, crush Doritos, play video games. And I got to tell you, I am still well-known, Dave, among my friends because because probably the Pizza Time pizza wasn't of the greatest quality and because of the high volume that I had, there may have been a gas situation. There, there, There may have been... Some, uh, it might've gotten smelly while we were playing video games. The stuff I admit on this show, by the way, is crazy. I I never say any of this stuff anywhere else. I mean, when I woke up this morning, did I think I'd be talking about farting in fifth grade? No, no, I did not think I would be mentioning pizza time and farting really loud, smelly farts in fifth grade. But here we are.
0: Yeah, my memories are really about, I agree with the pizza, the soda, the chips, and the video games when I was younger. When I was older, I was a, I was a bad kid. I mean, I was not a good kid. Starting in really seventh grade, and I, my most infamous sleepover is easily one in which we took out, stole whatever you want to say. My parents' car had a friend basically joyriding in it. Got busted by the cops. Ended up running through a field. Cops showed up at the house later that night. Uh, I was a bad, bad kid. So I don't have the best memories of the sleepover because just a bad dude. Topping that the is awesome. I, did, I, I would never have pictured you like that. That's amazing. Yeah, dude. It, it was not, I mean, starting in like late 6th, but really 7th, 8th, ninth. I was on the edge, man. I was a really bad kid. Too many run-ins with the cops. Too many joyrides of parents' cars. Were you a good kid? Um overall, yeah. Overall,
1: yeah. I mean, now look, I um started drinking and doing stuff like that in probably summer before tenth grade. Uh, okay. but no, I, I didn't my parents, we can talk about this more tomorrow, but my parents had the utmost like trust in me. I was the kid that, it's eighth, eighth, eighth grade, I didn't have to be home till 11, but this is boring, I'm gonna go home at 10 o'clock, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, I never had a curfew, ever, in my whole life. My parents just kinda trusted me and I, I rewarded that, I guess.
0: Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, I never really had much of a curfew, my parents, put too much trust in me until they learned I was not worthy of that trust. Missed the sleepovers, but now I'm a parent and I see the sleepovers. It's still about pizza, trash food, and video games. Only now it's on their own personal devices. They don't interact the way we did with video games. I'll see four kids in a room on their own devices with no interaction. Though I guess they're all playing Fortnite together, so maybe it's maybe it's uh, basically stayed exactly as it was when we were kids, a long time ago. That'll do it for us on a Tuesday. For Ross Tucker, I'm Dave Briggs. Please uh, subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on RDC, home and home, on Twitter. We'll see you on Hump Day.
1: Hey everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day exclusively on the radio.com app or on the web at radio.com slash home.